nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry-free. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard. Hi everyone, welcome to Inside Supercars. Shane Van Gisbergen from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team here. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel, and we've got one of the scribes of motorsport in Australia, a man by the name of Luke West, an appropriate name for a man who writes about this here pub subject of supercars. Luke, welcome to Inside Supercars again. We've had you on the show in the past, but it's good to have you under another guise as a, an author of a, a book that uh, tells the history. So, good, welcome on board. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Craig. Yeah, great to be back on uh, the podcast it's been a few years i think uh back in my earlier days when i was uh pa commentating for supercars or v8 supercars in those days so we had plenty of chats but it has been a while thank you indeed and i'm sure you've been very busy you've got two strong strapping lads and keeping them under control and on the straight and narrow um welcome uh, to the world of supercars in a in a deep dive you've done because you've covered some history Tell us about this book that you've put together. Yes, yeah, so in early July, Rock Tour Publishing uh, will be releasing Supercars, the Holden versus Ford era. Uh, it's a hardcover book. Um, it'll be available from all good bookshops, and it's essentially a season-by-season review of the 28 completed seasons of the V8 category so far. So 1993 and the origins of when it was called the five-litre touring car or the five-litre V8 um, had several names back then through to the end of the 2020 season. So it neatly covers uh, Holden's uh, official involvement. Um, so hence uh, the title, Supercars Holden versus Ford. So yeah, it covers season by season plus uh, lots of bios, uh, origins of the actual supercars category and uh, as the book rolls out we we track the highs and lows the roller coaster ride um, for supercars and uh, you know plenty of those milestones and magic moments it's a very appropriate time the uh, uh, publication of this book given that there's a, a new chapter it looks like it's going to be written with the uh, sale of supercars by archers um, I'm sure you're well aware of uh, that happening and probably started making notes for the uh, the next book. <laughs> yeah, very much so. We, we certainly are at an interesting time in history um, on a number of fronts with the supercars category, as you say. The sale of the category to another group looks imminent. We know it's imminent. We know Archer uh, wants to get out. So yeah, we all... Uh, live in hope that the new uh, group, the new owners, whoever they turn out to be, because as I understand it, there's several um, groups who will be putting in a bid, putting in their offer. Um, Isn't it a crucial time uh, with all that is facing the supercars category at the moment with uh, the demise of the local 
car industry and uh, changes to the way televisions, uh, uh, people consume television and, uh, you know, the loss of Holden, uh, loss of large cars in Australia. Uh, absolutely fascinating time to see where all this goes um, because you can see that supercars is going to be strong in the short term, but it's just impossible to see what the medium and the longer term holds for that category, um, given the demise of that large car segment and many other things. Across my 70 years, there haven't been many times when uh, we could use that oft-used uh, phrase of we live in interesting times. But I'd like to hear, Luke, some of your interesting times, because I first knew of you as a project group man, a John Smales uh, protege of many of your peers are. <laughs> There's lots of them out there, project groupies. You're exactly right, Tony. And I started my career as a teacher. Um, I left school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like so many youngsters, uh, found myself doing a diploma of teaching and a BA at the end of that and taught for primary school for here in Sydney for probably about three or four years, went, yeah, that was great, but I don't want to do it long term. My love is cars, in particular motorsport. Uh, found myself working for John Smiles' company, as you said, the project group, who at that time and for a long time had the Toyota account for new car launches and you know just basic general PR. And uh, at that stage, when I was working for John Smiles, uh, the company had the account to publicise the Bathurst 1000. And uh, I, I had a lot I wanted to get off my chest, but I didn't want to write letters. And I wanted to, in those days pre-internet, we're talking about the mid to late 90s, uh, you would write in to the car racing magazines, and in my case it was Auto Action Magazine, to the letter to the editors and uh, to the editor rather, and uh, uh, I did it under an alias because I didn't want to get in trouble because it was a bit of a conflict of interest commenting on things that my work was uh, involved in, albeit on the fringe. I think I actually uh, met you on one particular m very strong memory of mine was a Smales production, and, of course, they were the best for date scones and anything and everything along the line. Always overcated. Never leave them hungry with John's motto be, I imagine. Very much so. Yeah, was every one, I was dotted and every T was crossed with um, John. Yeah. There was one that was the opening of a road leading to Bathurst. So it was on the southern side, and there was a, a dual-lane piece of roadway built. Uh, and I thought, well, if John can get journalists out here and ride around the bus on a new piece of road to cover Bathurst, then he's capable of anything. Yeah, the, I remember it well, the Mount Lambie uh, bypass, which cut something like uh, 20 minutes of time uh, for the journey between Sydney and Bathurst. And that the whole publicity for that was on the basis that we thought that if we could promote the fact that it took two hours, 45 minutes from Sydney as opposed to three hours and Bible or whatever, it was in the realms of people going up to Bathurst to watch the 1000 for the day and coming back. So, yeah, it was a big, big campaign. So, yeah, so yeah, great, great memories there. Um, and, of course, John's gone on to publish books in recent years himself. Uh, but I never did get in trouble. 
because uh, I wrote under an alias of the Reverend Limiter. And people wondered, what on earth was that about? Why did you call yourself the Reverend Limiter? Well, it was simply uh, I needed an alias. And for me, motor racing was something of a religious experience or I was devoted to it. I had faith in it. I'm not a particularly religious person in my real life, but I took on this character and uh, I often got on the Rev Limiter myself. Uh, And the strange thing was that uh, the letters started to get a following. So I would write in about some topic one week and the next week uh, two or three of the readers who had seen my letter wrote in. So we got this banter thing going. That happened for about 12 months and uh, Alan Edwards then when he was editor of Auto Action in the year 2000, he uh, thought, okay, I'll give this guy a go uh, as a columnist. So the Reverend Limiter column started up in Auto Action magazine in the year 2000, and I did that uh, for 10 years, basically. And during that time, uh, other jobs came up, writing for V8X, uh, Australian Muscle Car Magazine, even started doing some on-course commentary for the Formula Ford people, and that led to doing on-course commentary for V8 Supercars, which was, uh, i got to say, one of the highlights of my career. Who were you uh, co-commenting with in the days at V8 Supercars? I know I was there, but more than likely I'd be uh, interviewing people myself on the ground and therefore wouldn't be listening in. Who was your co-commentator then? Uh, there was quite a few uh, luminaries over the years. There was Paul Marinelli. Uh, there was Aaron Noonan. Uh, there was uh, Cameron Vanden Dungan. Um, yes, so Barry Oliver in the early days, of course. So, you know, it ebbed and flowed. People came and went as other opportunities uh, came up for them. And, yeah, I did that for about seven years, uh, the highlight being the host uh, – uh, on course, at least, of uh, the Bathurst 1000 coverage up there. So I always enjoyed that aspect of it. I did a little bit of television work, but not too much. That wasn't really uh, a great goal for me. What I loved doing was connecting the fans at the circuit with what was happening. Um, so to work at Bathurst and tell them what was going on behind the scenes and then to also work at the street races, which were popping up, as you know, um, new ones coming on stream uh, in that era. So, you know, to 2008, 2009, had Townsville and Homebush coming on stream. Uh, and it was often my job to uh, tell those, you know, first-time race visitors how they could get the most out of uh, their visit to a car race meeting and the supercars for the first time and you know, things to check out, places to do, what was going on. So I really love that aspect of it. And, of course, this was all leading up to uh, what you've become best known for um, over time, and that was uh, uh, Australian Muscle Car Magazine because um, you said eight years in the saddle there? That is correct, yes. So through the early noughties, uh, I had a regular feature each edition on the characters of uh, Australian motorsport. Uh, was that memorable muscle racer section of the mag because I was always uh, uh, greatly intrigued by the actual personalities in car racing, not so much the technical side of it, the you know, the mechanical side. And uh, so after being a freelance contributor to Australian Muscle Car for 
probably five or six years while I was doing the on-course commentary and I was working at Auto Action a couple of days a week um, as a sub-editor. Mark Osler, who was the founding editor of Muscle Car, uh, wanted to move on, so he recommended me to the publishers, which was Next Media. And so from early 2011, um, I sat in the editor's chair um, for 55 editions. And, yeah, it's an incredible magazine because it has such passionate readers um so the guys that were reading the first issue 20 years ago can't wait to get every new issue and they want new content and behind the scenes stuff so that was fantastic and did that for eight years and then um wanted to move on and do some other bits and pieces i know exactly what you're talking about was that that passionate readers of uh, muscle car magazine um, I, I wrote a couple of uh, stories for it, and I uh, feel delighted to have done the history of uh, Jim Richards, the making of his uh, Falcon Sprint and then the Javelin. Um, and I've had people come up and start talking to me about it as though I just finished writing it yesterday. Sort of thing. <laughs> I found it quite strange. Went, oh, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, because people do. And I remember years ago realising that the, the whole magazine business and publishing and writing – has changed so much because um, a lot of magazines nowadays are bought by people, but they don't read more than one or two articles in it. But there are things like Muscle Car Magazine and, say, um, uh, clinker-built boats, where people will read every single page. And I mean, that's me with motorsport. Um, and, and Muscle Car Magazine, you read everything in it, every ad you go through. Oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> it's just an extraordinary business. and. It uh, must be amazing, Luke, to have been part of that, to have been part of re-not re, uh, uh, discovering, but rebuilding, keeping it going, enlarging and lengthening the process of uh, Muscle Car Magazine in Australia. It was a wonderful time. Yeah, it was uh, Mark Osler as founding editor, Ray Berghouse as founding publisher, they, and the design crew they had on at that stage. It came up with a concept which just gave such depth um, to everything they did. They would do 40-page stories on one particular car or aspect. I mean, who does this in the, uh, you know, the superficial age that we live in to some extent? Um, so, but that sort of created a bit of a rod for uh, Mark's back and then and for myself because if you did a 40-page story on for instance, Alan Moffat's Coca-Cola Mustang, all the ins and outs. Once you've done that, what else do you do on that car in the future? But um, So it was always a challenge to find new angles and new things to do in depth uh, to examine. Um, but, yeah, it was, was certainly I felt the weight of responsibility in that role to keep Mark's great work going, and uh, you know now Steve Normoyle is uh, Steve Normoyle rather is uh, is the editor and and doing a great job uh, with that uh, much loved magazine now in its twentieth year. And it's interesting because in twenty years the car culture in Australia has significantly changed, and uh, I I tend to say that our car culture has become a much smaller. Um, subset of the wider community. Yeah, I think that's a fair point there, Craig. And and I was always conscious that Muscle Car Magazine, um, a lot of magazines make the error 
of chasing a new audience and a younger audience uh, rather than concentrating on giving their loyal readers um, what they want. Um, and we had, uh, I guess, an older readership of, of blokes 50 plus. So we never wanted to go out and chase the younger guys because we'd never felt we were going to get them because they're, as you've alluded to, their tastes have changed, what interests them changed, what they've seen, what they saw as kids and wanted on the racetrack and wanted to learn about is much different. And they don't necessarily go to magazines to, to find that information. So, um, yeah, very passionate crowd, and I was always conscious that uh, we had such loyal readers, and they would write to you every issue. I had about 20 guys who just loved it, and they loved conversing with the editor in the magazine, and, and so in some cases, picking things apart, which was fine. Um, so, yeah, it's a very rare beast, AMC magazine. Yeah, you're now working with a publishing company, Rockpool Publishing, who, of course, are the uh, publishers of Supercars, the Ford, uh, the Holden versus Ford era. And if you just on the surface looked at Rockpool, you go, they're making car books, they're doing rugby league immortals. It's not what their normal publishing is, is it? They've, they've, uh, this is not their. Uh, uh, main it's not their diet. bread and butter traditionally. Yeah. You're 100% right. Exactly right. Their bread and butter is mind, body, and spirit. So uh, they produce a, a lot of books um, for women in particular. So everything from you know healthy eating, healthy living, to alternate lifestyles, um, to uh, even things like witchcraft uh, you know, in, in, in the modern sense, of course. And uh, just so many different things, tarot cards, uh, card sets, all sorts of things. So they have always had an interest and always had a sideline business in uh, producing sport and recreation books. But um, I was fortunate when I left Australian Muscle Car Magazine and I wrote, after I wrote Supercar's book um, and uh, another book we might talk about a little bit later, uh, it's the opportunity came up to join them and expand their motoring content, put out more motoring books and also put out more sporting books. So uh, it's just been fantastic really to see that this, uh, uh, what's been a boutique uh, publisher, book publisher is expanding their horizons and now pumping out books that uh, men love and uh, in particular uh, their women folk love to give them because uh, uh, some of us uh, men folk are hard to buy for, and one of the great presents for Father's Day, Christmas, and birthdays is uh, to give uh, the blokes or love the women love to give the blokes in their lives, uh, you know, a good book, gift book. Yes, and for all of us who have a July birthday, like myself, uh, it couldn't be coming out at a better time. <laughs> but talking about supercars, the Holden Ford era, what? Where did that come from? Was this something that was burning inside you that you wanted to write a book uh, like that or was it a, a case of uh, the publisher came and approached you? Um, Rockpool had had a lot of success with republishing uh, some of the magazine content, sort of stuff that we'd just spoken about um, from Next Media, an Australian muscle car magazine, Next Media's um, biggest motoring title. And... Um, 
they were keen to continue that relationship, so they came up with the idea of uh, doing a Supercars history book. Um, and the starting point was the old uh, Next Media or Chevron publishing 50 years of the Australian Touring Car Championships. So we were able to take some of that content and repackage it, and uh, I wrote uh, a number of other chapters, season reviews, to create the Supercars book. So uh, it wasn't my idea. Uh, I was uh, At that stage, I didn't know that when, when it, when the plan was hatched to publish a, a supercars history book, um, I, I wasn't involved in that aspect and they approached me because I was looking for opportunities and uh, was very happy to take up the, the offer to write the additional chapters and write the bios and give the background to the formation of uh, the supercar category. Um, and it's just come together beautifully using the uh, photos from... Uh, the Chevron archive, and also some uh, photos from uh, ace photographer John Morris also, um, some really great stuff. So uh, fully illustrated. So each of the chapters um, has a number of photos uh, covering the, you know, the key cars and the key moments and the key races. And uh, 280 pages, so it's uh, quite a weighty tomb. It is indeed. So hardcover, full gloss, and uh, it's just been a really interesting exercise to sit down and uh, and edit and write this magazine to sorry this book to show how the supercars category has evolved. And and I was just flicking through before uh, we started this podcast at some of the chapters, and um, one struck me as I was because you know you write a book and gets published, and you, you haven't. I mean, I wrote this in 2019 so I'd sort of forgotten some of the things that were in it so I had a bit of a refresher before our chat and uh, I just happened to flick open to the 2014 chapter which is uh, uh, titled the high water mark and you sort of forget in this era where the car of the future gets some bad PR these days doesn't it so but in the early part, because the Car of the Future started from 2013 season, those first few seasons, the racing was brilliant. So it was before the high downforce cars. And, of course, um, Car of the Future and those new rules from 2013 attracted um, the you know three new marks or two manufacturers and then the AMG Mercedes. They weren't officially involved. But of course, it was Betty Clemenko funding uh, the Mercs, as we called them. But that was a fantastic era. It was just so good because the racing on track was brilliant and there were five different marks uh, on the grid. And I really think that uh, you, you can't really go past that as the ultimate peak for supercars. Indeed not, which in fact uh, leads into another project for you. Um, and you talked before about it, the uh, Rockpool and Immortal. Um, the next step in this program, of course, is uh, looking at the, the greats of the, the sport. And you've done that in Immortal. Yes. Yeah, so Rockpool Publishing, uh, as part of their drive to um, expand their sporting offering, uh, offerings came up a few years ago with a new concept for a series called the Immortals of Australian Sport. Now, for those listeners who are from uh, New South Wales, Queensland and the ACT, they will know that 
the Immortals concept uh, originated in rugby league. So there are 13 Immortals, so the greatest players of all time in that code in Australia, um, and they've been uh, bestowed that Immortals honour by head office, the NRL. Um, and so our book, The Immortals of Rugby League, of course, is 13 chapters profiling those 13 Immortals. Well, then um, Rockpool thought, well, what if we applied that same concept of bestowing greatness uh, upon rugby league players through this title to other sports? So the next one in the series was uh, Immortals of Australian Cricket. So there was 11 Immortals, uh, and that book was written as the rugby league book was by uh, Queensland author Liam Hauser. Um, Liam is a cricket and a rugby league guy, but he wasn't really the guy to write uh, the third instalment that uh, that Rockpool had in mind, which was to do the Immortals of Australian Motor Racing. So that's where I came in, and this was my uh, this was my uh, COVID project when we were in lockdown. Uh, this time last year, or probably a little bit earlier, May, June, um, I sat down and wrote 10 chapters and highlighted the feats and told the story of uh, the 10 immortals, in my mind at least, in Australian motor racing. Could you give us a taste of who they are? Uh, certainly can. So I, I think of the icons. So the, the, the obvious ones are uh, Peter Brock, Dick Johnson and Alan Moffat. Um, and then I don't want to give too much away because uh, I'd like to get people thinking if they came up with their list of immortals. And my book is just my own list of the 10 they would include. But uh, uh, I will tell you that uh, I was keen to include uh, Jamie Winkup. There was a lot of people, perhaps some older uh, race fans who think, oh, Jamie Winkup, well, he's currently racing. He's not an immortal, but, well, future immortal certainly because uh, he's, you know, his feats as the greatest of all time, a seven-time championship winner. I don't think you can over overlook him. But more to the point, when I was doing, uh, writing this uh, Immortals of Australian Motor Racing, I was keen to come up with some content, not just a profile of uh, these 10 drivers, but look at an aspect of their career in each case that perhaps had been overlooked by most race fans. Um, so in the case of uh, Craig Lowndes, uh, everyone knows the day that uh, he came, he became a, a shooting star. He became a, I couldn't, shouldn't call him a shooting star, an overnight star uh, at Bathurst in 1993 when he passed uh, late in the race John Bow. For the lead, Bow ultimately got back past him a lap or two later uh, and took the win, but nonetheless, a star was born that day. But what I've written about in the Craig Lowndes chapter is the aspect that earlier in the day, Craig Lowndes was so close to uh, having his career finished that day when he spun on top of the mountain. So in the early running and, you know, at the Great or what's that, Sulman Park, the official term, how many cars have you seen over the years spin at Sulman Park and not actually hit the wall up there? You could count it on one hand. Well, Craig Lowndes was one of those, but the fact that this incident was not caught on television, the fact that he kept it off the wall 
the fact that there's no photos of this, it's as though it didn't happen. And uh, can you imagine what would have happened to Craig Lowndes' career um, the day he became a star if, you know, actually he didn't get to that stage because when he spun on top of the mountain about midday uh, and he'd hit the wall, if he had hit the wall, I reckon that probably would have put a fair old dent in his career prospects like it did uh I think the year before when Cameron McConville spun not too far away in the Dick Johnson car up there. It certainly sounds like there's plenty of meat on the bone there, and uh, I hope that uh, when that's out in August, you said? Yeah, in August, so in time for Father's Day. So uh, uh, you guys are looking pretty good in that respect. Luke West, of course, of formerly of Australian Muscle Car, still now known secretly as the Rev Limiter, in columns regularly in auto action, week, uh, fortnightly, that is, weekly. Um, but thank you, Luke, for joining us on Inside Supercars. Um, the story that will be published this month, uh, called The Holden versus Ford Years Era. Um, it's wonderful to talk to you, Luke, and uh, all the very best with this and, and your next project. Thank you very much, Tony. Thank you, Craig. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.